You're listening to The Group Sessions, a podcast that bridges the gap between informed public health and healthy mental hygiene. My name is Rob, and I'm a certified mental health life coach and master NLP practitioner. I'm best known for my publications and social media content, as well as individual counseling. Join me on this therapeutic journey while we analyze and overcome issues impacting our mental well-being. Welcome and welcome back to group, everybody. As always, thank you so much for holding space with me here at the Group Sessions podcast. Um, Today's topic of conversation, we're going to have a session with a very special person uh, to to discuss like more so about like burnout culture in the workplace. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the psychological aspects of that, as well as the psychological effects of that burnout. Um, And we're going to have some fun. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. This is like our 40-something episode. So the fact that I've done something 40-something times in a row is is amazing. <laughs> but I want to thank everybody for supporting and constantly listening to the show. Um, as always, please make sure that you drop a five-star rating because that is going to help a lot. We are streaming on all major platforms, even the little platforms. We're streaming on those too. And as I've told you, I'm still working on getting together with this uh, video content, but I'm getting a lot closer to these concepts uh, to keep up with those projects and see what those are going to look like. Make sure you hit me up on Instagram at Robert St. Michael. Um, And yeah, I'm just really excited about today's call. I'm just so excited about today's session. So let's just go ahead and jump into burnout culture. Today we have our special guest and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell the world how she is and who she is and all that good stuff. Hello, my name is Tiana Lancaster. Um, most people know me as T. Most people on the internet know me as What's T, because that's pretty much my name on all social media platforms. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure as far as what to say with <laughs> this introduction. Um, I Isn't am it a... so awkward when you get like put on the spot? Yes, it is. I hate introduce myself i get so awkward even introducing the show i feel like i'm always awkward i start getting stuttery and like it gets weird it can come from so many different directions like um well i am a psychology enthusiast i attend therapy with my own psychologist and black woman by the way love her appreciate her um i also have a master's in psychology. So I also have studied psychology. So even when I observe, I I can observe my own psyche at times. Um, And I am a teacher. So that is the perspective that I'm gonna be coming from in terms of burnout and um, from the, the educator perspective. Looking forward to it. All of your life experiences actually lend itself to a very specific and unique conversation about burnout. So I'm going to have a really, um, we're going to have an interesting little deep dive. We're going to dip a little, you know, get our little, little dip, little, little psychological dip on. So I'm here for that. Um, but is there anything special that you've been up to lately? How is work going? How is your social media going? Life is exhausting um my personal life is great my personal life is great i have no complaints um it is the best that it has been in a very long time so i have no complaints about my personal life um i 
graduated with my master's in November. So after a long two and a half years. So wait a minute. Congratulations. Okay. Congratulations. You You did it, Joe. You did it. Thank you so much. You know, uh, all the sleepless nights, literally, you know what I'm saying? All the tears. It was worth it. Um, You know, at first, I really genuinely, and I could do a whole episode about that in itself. Um, I was questioning whether the degree itself was worth it when I first finished. Um, Now I am now seeing the fruits of my labor as time goes on. But initially, I was like, was this even worth it? Did I bust my behind for nothing? Um, but I do feel like for me personally, it was worth it. And it has been, um, working for my betterment professionally. Um, as far as work, we tied, we tied, um, we trying to, we trying to chug along to the end of the school year, but we tied. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the stretch, right? Are you working summer school this year? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I need to. I'm getting that clarification by the end of this week from my manager, but I'm definitely trying to trying to keep the keep the checks coming consistent. You know what I'm saying? So definitely working on it. Um, but yeah, we're kind of in the final stretch of the school year. I feel like everybody pretty much gets out of school like mid June, and I feel like the kids know it because they just they acting up uh, exponentially. You know, they just they doing the most. They got senioritis. They got that end of the year jitters. What what grade level are you teaching? What grade level students are you working with? I work with pre-K four. Um, well, I right now I work with pre-K four, but I've worked with pre-K all the way up to fourth grade, and I've also tutored college students. So a little little wide range in there, but currently I work with uh pre-k four four and five year olds but these four and five year olds are not the four and five year olds that we know um these COVID children are very different um very grown you know they they in the room when mama talking to her friends and you could tell that's so interesting we had a show we did a session where we talked about how um just the COVID birth rush was very different and having young children especially um being raised at that young pre-adolescence age during a pandemic really stunted a lot of their developmental growth and skills because they didn't have schools to go to they couldn't go outside you know so it was a lot and I always wondered like what that transition back to school would be like I remember Um, having a conversation with someone and I can't remember where I was talking about this on, but I was saying like, it's just really weird that um, we're in a post-pandemic world and there was no transition, you know, like no tutoring, like no nothing extra to kind of make up for the fact that kids are coming with a major skill deficiency when it comes to social skills. Well, I will say there was tutoring because I was one of said tutors. Um, I was an AmeriCorps member. I have a lot of experience, a lot of varying experiences, but I was also an AmeriCorps member for two years. So I was actually in person. And then we came home literally in the, like the pandemic started in the middle of the school year um, in 2020. So March, 
2020 actually funny enough it was literally the week after my birthday so i like just was able to celebrate my birthday and then we was in the house for months um <laughs> and so i was like i said i was in the schools and then we the pandemic hit and we literally had to like figure out how to still offer the tutoring even though we were not in person so that in itself was a mind-boggling experience because it's like how do we continue to communicate how do we continue to give these students the information that they need you know even though we can't see them or we can't be in front of them then on top of that like a lot of our materials were locked in the schools so now we're kind of like scavenging around our houses to kind of see what materials we can scrape up to like physically draw things and then like record videos of ourselves to send to the teachers to then send to the kids. So it was a whole thing, but it was definitely still tutoring services available because after that, um, the following year, I was also virtual with a different tutoring program, but like that was a whole different thing in itself because we were like stretched thin. Like when I say thin, I mean, I feel like this topic is kind of perfect for that because that was the epitome of burnout. Like we were exhausted. You had like just enough time to use the bathroom, maybe or eat, eat a sandwich for lunch and that was it. Like every second of our day, we were on a computer, whether it was actually tutoring the kids, calling parents to get the kids in the program, um, or like putting in, like once we actually completed the sessions, monitoring like, okay, how did this student do? What do they need to improve on? Blah, blah, blah. Putting all of that in the system. Like it was crazy. It was crazy. So being an educator during the pandemic and working from working virtually, it was like a marathon. Like, do you feel like, do you feel like that was this, this was your intro, this was your introduction to teaching, like this was your beginnings of getting into teaching. Do you feel like, do you feel like that, like a lot of that stress kind of carried over since that was like the intro, that was the tone, you know, I'm thinking like, in terms of classroom, one things that one of the things that are really, really talked highly about is kind of setting that tone on that first day and how that tone kind of carries itself through the entire year. Do you think that like your tone of getting introduced to what the teaching world was like, especially through the pandemic, kind of set that up for you to carry itself older over into like, you know, later years? Um I will say, so like I said, I feel like my experience was a little different just because I did have that firsthand experience, meaning like actually being in the classroom before the pandemic started. So I think that having that experience made a major difference because like, um, you know, I, like I said, I was in AmeriCorps. So not only was I like in a classroom tutoring, but I was also like avidly in trainings. Like we had a training like every month. Um, and again, this was in person. So having that experience, I think, made a difference versus if we were like, I had done did AmeriCorps and I had signed on and was virtual from the beginning. I feel like that would have been a totally different experience just because I feel like you wouldn't really know. Like if you had never worked with children before, I feel like it's different to start working with children for the first time behind a computer screen. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I imagine too, there's probably like, that was probably an adjustment for the kids too, because there's a lot of adult learners who have a hard time learning online. So I can't, I could not imagine trying to teach an actual lesson to an elementary school student online. Like I, I can't, people, one thing, some, one of the many things that people don't see about the teaching profession is that it is very strategic is very involved mm-hmm. and the best teachers are going to involve the five senses and the learning process and learning online is a very niche type of learning style mm-hmm. you know and it's also a very niche type mm-hmm. of teaching style as well because you're limited so but i mean we thank you for all of the services that you have provided our young minds in the time of a pandemonium um, Thank I see you so that much. you have some, I see you got some artwork behind you. Is that from your kids or is that some of your own? No, it's mine. Um, more pandemic. <laughs> um, I know that's right. Artwork, it looks very, like, I like it. It looks really aesthetic. Oh, oh it gives, oh, you were busy. I only saw, I was. at first I only I was. saw those three, but when you adjusted the camera, I like that one with the blue. That's really good. So, um, okay. So this came about because when I was working, like I said, when I was working during the pandemic, it was, so I had just moved here. I'm from DC. I live in Maryland now. And it was an adjustment um, because I never really got to like enjoy my space necessarily because i was working literally i moved and i was still working and like i said we like i was working like from the moment i opened my eyes to the moment i I, I closed them like i was just working constantly and so my room was really dull it was like literally just beige and gray and it wasn't until like my service year was up that i realized like man this room is boring it's depressing and there's no real separation between where I work and where I live. It was all one space. Yeah, that's so real. That is so real. It was it was no separation between where I worked and where I lived. It was it was one big space. But like I said, there was nothing. Like there was nothing on the walls. It was just furniture and curtains and everything is gray and beige. And I was just like, this is boring. This is giving no life. So I literally just went crazy and I crazy in the sense that I was just like I need color everywhere. So I have like a million portraits that I thrifted and it's, it's stuff okay, everywhere. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's, that's really valid. I think that people who have not had the um, experience of working home during the pandemic, a lot of people kind mm-hmm. of glorify that as like, oh, that's the goal. That's the end goal. But I also was working home from the start of the pandemic up until a few months ago. So mm-hmm. I probably don't know that I will go back to work at home. It does. It's cool the first couple of months, but then mm-hmm. it gets into like this very complacent. It goes mm-hmm. from working home to working in the same room to working in your bed mm-hmm. to just like, mm-hmm. and then it just, it it sneaks into your life in a way that it's like, it takes more of you because you can't get away from it. Like you really mm-hmm. wake up and it's like, boom. And and then I felt like I was never not working at some point. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it just, I felt like I didn't have a home. It was, it's very draining. Um, and so going back into an office, I absolutely love having my own office, having my own space of organization, my own mindset, you know, my own things. Now I'm lucky that I work in an office by myself. Not so many okay. people come in my office, but um, it, it's, it's really nice to have a separate environment to mm-hmm. contribute to productivity and then to come home and take your shoes off and just be like, uh, you know, it just, you really appreciate mm-hmm. your bed so much more when you got to spend time away from it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's very different. <laughs> it's well, very I'm going to say this, this year in particular, I relate to that now more than ever. Like that is so real because literally every day first of all getting up in the morning i just be staring at my bed like i don't want to leave i don't want to go and then coming home it's just like oh i've missed you so much you don't even know um so i get that personally i didn't want to go back in person 100 um i actually wanted i was looking for hybrid jobs initially um and then this job kind of fell in my lap so i'm grateful to be employed do not get me wrong definitely grateful for employment because that is also another topic that will take a whole nother episode but i actually dealt with unemployment for like a year and a half which a lot of people don't know um because i'm a pretty private person but i dealt with unemployment for about a year and a half and that in itself was very depressing um so i'm grateful to have a job and not only just have a job but a job that pays me nicely but I am also a very energy-based person and I feel like working hybrid would have given me a good balance between I still get to socialize with people but I also get to kind of recharge my battery on those days when I'm home but I work in person every day so and I'm gone majority of the day so I'm literally exhausted like exhausted every day that I come home because I'm constantly interacting with people and then I'm absorbing all of these. I have 20 students. So imagine the energy of 24 year olds. Um, So I'm absorbing all of that energy on top of my own. So I'm grateful to be able to come home and and be at peace and kind of just We thank you for your service because that's a lot, okay? Four-year-old, one of them is a lot. You have 20. 20. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's a, a lot. And it, it there has to be a part of you that just, I know that you say that you have to recharge, um, but mm-hmm. for you to even be a person that would kind of gravitate towards this type of work, something about it has to like charge your battery just a little bit. Like it has to like make your battery meter just jump a little bit. Y'all, she just rolled it's... her eyes in the meanest way. <laughs> no. She was oh, like, F them no, kids. No, no. So, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> my face has a mind of its own. I'm sorry. It was, I was in my head. And I she went was like, head. absolutely sorry, not. Spoken like a true elementary school teacher. She was <laughs> like, absolutely not. That battery. No, 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 no. <laughs> So I always laugh because I, I always always laugh that this is the my current profession because I never ever imagined that I would be in this field like never. Um, I 
never saw myself working with kids, let alone like a large amount of kids. That was just not something that I ever envisioned for myself. Like, I feel like if I went back to college me and told her what I do now, she would laugh in my face because we do what? With who? And how many? It, I never, never. Um, I was supposed to, you know, we, we all got the story when we went to college with one goal and then senior year came and it was just like, ooh, but is that what I really want to do with the rest of my life? Um, and so I'm, I'm one of those. That's the <laughs> I was supposed That's to. the realest that ever been said. I don't know. I, I, I think that there needs, I've said before that I think that there needs to be a different way of introducing higher education to us, like stepping into this capsule for four years straight out of high school <laughs> like that's it's a lot and it's a lot to know exactly what you want to do four years in the future and then like as soon like soon as you hit you get the same question so what is next so what are you doing next so what's next what are you doing next and you're expected to just know what you're supposed to be doing for the rest of your life after four years and you know I was one at of those 20, people, so 21, 22 years old. Like, I'm supposed to know yeah. what I want to do for the rest of my life. So, I was supposed to go, long story short, I was supposed to go be a lawyer. I was supposed to go to law school, do all the things. Um, I took the LSAT twice, hated it, felt like a zombie. And I was just like, mm, I don't really know if this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm not gonna lie, to this day, I constantly go back and forth over whether, like, that was meant to be my path i'm not sure still to this day um but a friend of mine was like well why don't you do americorps you know hope maybe doing americorps will help you figure out your life and what you want to do next so i was like hmm, that's not a bad idea so that's kind of how i ended up you know being in education because that's what they offered to me and i was like i mean that's not something i i saw for myself but why not um and it kind of worked out perfectly because where I was located was literally 10 minutes from my house. I used to walk to and from work every day. So it worked itself out. Um, and then I kind of liked it. And I was like, kids aren't that bad. I mean, my first day I was terrified because it was a lot of them and they were so tiny. And I was like, ooh, you was it's, a lot of little, it's a lot of little people coming towards me. And I was, my anxiety started to come out. But, <laughs> You know, once you start working with them, like kids are hilarious. I feel like there's a level of like silliness that you get to. I feel like working with kids allows you to to be fun and on a level that you don't really get to do as much as an adult um, because kids aren't going to judge you. You know what I mean? Like you could be as crazy and as funny as you want to be and make all the silly faces and whatever. And they love it. You know what I mean? You do that to another adult and they'll be like, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like and that's like, why I say it takes a very special person to do that. I, people always think that I am, I, Oh, Rob, you would be amazing with kids and you, I could see you. People always could see me as so many different things. I am too calm for children. I'm way too calm for I've tried to teach um at that level. I'm just too calm. Um What do you mean by I, that? Uh okay, so let's say a kid is like they're fighting over markers, right? And they're like he took the red marker and I wanted the red marker and you know how that turns into a tantrum. Mm -hmm. So my initial reaction is like, "Oh wow, that was that was really important to you, huh?" No, that's really interesting. 
I don't have that feedback, but I do work well in terms of guiding children, like in terms of a more guidance mentoring space, I can help mm -hmm. people and children understand and see themselves. But when it came, when it came down to just those moments of like that enthusiasm that an elementary school class leader has, I just was really, really calm. <laughs> I was very calm. I wasn't, I wasn't, I had to practice making things a super big deal for me because I just didn't have that super, super, super excitement. Um, I worked very well teaching high school students because that level of calm is what they kind of fed off of. But mm -hmm. my, I was way too calm for my kids. They were jumping all over my head and stuff. They they wanted a reaction out of me. I just was like, wow, this is real crazy. Like y'all are really on my shoulder. That's incredible. I can see that. Um, <laughs> I was like, that's, this is actually happening. Wow. Okay. This is, that's my foot. I can see okay. that because I was working, so I was working with another before, not here, but at another school I worked at. And again, I was new. These kids don't know me. And they were kind of like testing me. Um, and I could tell because certain stuff that they were doing, they wanted to see how I would react. And they wanted to see like, okay, she gonna let us get away with this or she gonna call us out. Cause if she let us get away with this one time, that's it. The respect is out the window. We gonna do whatever we want. And so I see, I could see what you mean when you say like they want a reaction. Cause it's true. Kids want to see how you gonna respond. Cause if you. Yeah. They need to be able to read you. I think for small children, it's really important that they can read you. Um, whereas mm -hmm. for teenagers, they get bored when they can read you as an adult. So they kind of like, they gravitate towards that adult that's a little bit more mysterious or a little bit more, they don't know where to place you kind of thing. But for kids, they're super concrete. They need to know where to place you in their mind, in their day. Who, what kind, who, what kind of person are you for that person? Mm -hmm. And um, while I love and can I kids, trust you? Can I trust can I, you? Can yeah, I trust and, you? And trust for kids is consistency. Like, can I identify you? If I can't identify you, then I can't trust you. I have to identify mm -hmm. you. Um, so, mm -hmm. but I jumping fast, jumping forward a little bit. I know that this is the time of year that it gets crazy in the education field. And I want to know a little bit about what your emotional space has been like recently with dealing with so much pressure coming towards the, and anxiety and anticipation coming towards the end of the year <laughs> y'all i wish y'all could see her face this face i'm, is I'm, I'm, not, I'm listening i'm listening <laughs> so that I, i'm trying to like think of my response as you ask the question so yeah don't mind tell me about what face. this tell me about what your what your what your burnout space has been feeling like lately and where do you feel that might be coming from so lately like my head is in a lot of different places um for one just again like dealing with the kids on a day-to-day -day basis because for like for one um my class in particular isn't consistent so we never really know like how many kids we're going to get you know on a day-to-day -day basis so it could you know be you know maybe 10 to 12 kids today and then you know 19 tomorrow like we never 
really know how many kids we're going to be dealing with on a regular basis. So trying to like mentally prepare for, you know, these, these, all of these little personalities and just everything that comes along with that. Like, like I said, these, these kids um, are not the four-year-olds that we're used to. Like they have really big personalities and they say things that you wouldn't expect four-year-olds to say. So you kind of got to be on your feet. Um, with them but even again with that like it's exhausting like I'm literally I'm at work from about 7 15 ish to four o'clock every day and technically I only get one break because the second break is not really a break if you're still in the room with the kids um so I get a 30 minute break while they're at like gym or art and then I'll say I get somewhat of an hour break hour-ish break when they take when they're napping but again like you're not really taking a break because you're you have to watch the kids while they're sleeping to make sure you know no one pees on themselves in their sleep no one vomits in their sleep or no one is accidentally stepping on anybody's face like you know so you still have to be observant so even that's not a real break so there's no real time to like decompress because majority of your day is surrounded by people um so that's a thing. Then like there's so many things that need to be done, even, you know, at the end of the school year in terms of like stuff around the classroom, like there's units. So, you know, the whole class changes per unit, meaning like what the physically what the classroom looks like and the centers that the kids plays in. Like no one sets that up for us. We have to print that out, cut that out tape it whatever like we have to put all of that stuff up so we're in the process of taking one unit down putting one unit up uh you know decorating the door putting up a stuff like it's, it's a lot of like academic things that we're also working on as well on top of just dealing with the kids you know in terms of behavior or attitudes or if they tired and they want to go home or you know like it's just a lot of different things in terms of behavior and attitudes and there's a lot of academic stuff and work that we have to do on top of that um and then you know you have admin you know on your back about make sure you're doing this make sure you're doing that you know a little micromanaging (laughs) um you know on top of all the other things you're already dealing with and then on top of that trying to still have a personal life outside of work so yeah and that's from me as a single non-child having person so imagine all of those things and you have children and a spouse to go home to on top of that day that i just described um so like i said this is just for me for the like i can come home i can rest i can be at peace but if you have because i just found out one of my coworkers today has five kids so you dealing with 20 kids all day long and then on top of paperwork and on top of admin on your back then you come home to feed five kids help them with their homework make sure they got in the tub and they in bed on time when is their time for you in between all of that that's a really good question it's it's in education that i think i learned the importance of work-life balance um Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of what you're describing is anticipatory anxiety, where you're having a lot of static in terms of am- anticipating the structure. But what's interesting is that 
you as an individual, you need the structure, but your job is also to provide structure where structure doesn't exist. And then while you're trying to provide that, you're expected to fall into a structure that you can't see being enforced by other people who are not a part of the structure that you're trying to enforce on a daily basis with the impossible. So it's like three layers of impossible tasks that's happening. And, and it often feels like all of those layers don't talk to each other, right? Your impossible task of having a life is not talking to your impossible task of being a teacher in a non-structured environment. And that's not talking about the impossible task of administration, having these expectations for you. So the, the question is valid. When do you clock out of that? When do you tap out of that? When do you step out of that? Do you have areas in your life that hold enough space to to transform your mind and your mood? Or are you sitting outside of the school building still in the school mindset? Mm-hmm. And a lot of educators are because, you know, okay, so like, I operate as a paraprofessional slash teacher's assistant. So that means I am assisting the lead. But a lot of leads don't even feel, I'm going to feel like they have the space to disconnect because depending on how much work they have, they might end up having to bring work home. So now there really is no work-life balance because I'm working at work, but there's so much that I'm expected to do that I don't have time to do because I'm working with the kids all day. So when do I have time to put in grades, grade assignments, put in projects, create the next homework packet for next week? I have to now bring that home. So there is no real work-life balance for a lot of people. And again, if I have children and a spouse that need me on top of these things that I'm bringing home, again, that now leaves no space. And, And I'm speaking hypothetically because that doesn't cater to me, but a lot of the people that I work with, that is their reality. They have multiple children. They have a husband and a wife that they cater to. You know what I mean? That, that depend on them. So you know, I, I can't even, <laughs> I, I give all of my props to them because I can't imagine, you know, what is going through their head on a daily basis with all of that going on in one brain. And that's why I wanted to speak on this topic, not even like entirely for myself. I mean, I'm burnt out too, but not like them that their level of burnout i'm sure is on a totally different level especially educators that have been teaching way longer than i have um you know if this is like your 10th year your 15th year you know you probably burnt out on a whole 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 nother level um you know because then it's a lot of like things that you you have seen the school truck the school structure change You know what I mean? From when you started 15 years ago to what it looks like now and, you know, dynamics with parents and dynamics with teachers. And that's a whole nother thing that I forgot to mention. Like when I hear a lot of teachers talk about a lot of their stressors, a lot of times it's not even the kids. A lot of times their complaints are the parents, the parents and admin, because sometimes parents love to believe that their children are angels and that my child couldn't possibly have smacked little jimmy in the face my child wouldn't do that my child didn't rip up this diorama that you spent all night working on 
my child would never, you know? And so when you deal with that from multiple people on top of all of the stuff that you got to do it on a daily basis, like it's a lot. And it kind of makes you question, like, is it worth it? Now, not me personally, but like I said, a lot of educators are in this space where they're questioning, like, is this what I signed up for? Can I continue on this path like this? Um, and like I said, that's a big one. Like I said, admin got their own stuff as far as being controlling and micromanaging and everything else. But these parents can be a lot too. They, they could be a lot. And you know, for teachers, for educators, the turn, the turnover rate has gotten significantly high um, over the past few years, especially coming out of the pandemic. And one of the leading reasons, well, the top reasons why turnover is high. And when I say turnover, I mean, teachers are, are quitting. They're not, they don't want to teach anymore. Um, up there is the low salary because teachers don't make mm-hmm. much, unfortunately, mm-hmm. disrespectfully. Um, then there's also not having parents respect them. And then there is not having a work-life balance. And I think that with the field of education, there is the the insider scoop of what, what we do, what you do. And then there's the outsider perception of what you do. And um, there's also the outsider's perception of, hey, I want to be a teacher. You know, a lot of people come out of young ages wanting to be a teacher and the actual role of the teacher is incredible. It is an incredible academic counseling, mentoring role that you really don't clock out of, right? You almost are, as an educator in in that space, you're almost responsible for building a boat for every student in the ocean. Like you're in the ocean building a boat for all of these kids, right? And so that is what you are actually doing. But over on the land where you have the parents, right? <laughs> the parents are on the land building boats trying to match your boat. They're on the land, but to them it's really hard because they don't, you know, they they don't have the skills and they don't know what they're doing all of the time. And then you have your administration from a helicopter looking down at the ocean and the land and they're like, Hey, uh-uh, we need this, you know? So everybody is in totally different terrains. They're in mm-hmm. totally different geography when it comes to where they're, where their mental space is approaching the, the health and well-being of this child. And so in, in unison, those three things can work beautifully, beautifully. When those three things are in unison, when the teacher is on board with the strategies in the classroom, the administration is empowering the teachers in the classroom, that can work beautifully, okay? You can do amazing for a child. I agree. So first of all, I would just like to say if there are any educators listening, do or, or let me say people that want to join the field of education, I'm not saying this to deter anyone from the field. So let me just say that. Um, this is not a conversation that is being had to deter people from joining the field of education. If that is something that you want to do, then I absolutely say pursue it. I'm having this conversation because I feel like we see what it looks like to be a teacher on like television or, you know, 
this memory that we have of our favorite teachers growing up and it's it's a thing that is very put on a pedestal but in reality it's hard it's so hard and a lot of people don't talk about you know the 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 negatives that come with with the profession and so i'm trying to have this real transparent conversation because it's you know i promise you a lot of people are going to listen to this and be like yep she hit it on the head that's it right there because people aren't publicly really having these conversations mm-hmm. um what i was going to say was like okay so one thing that i was going to say as far as the parents it's it's a different perspective on, on multiple angles. And I say that in the sense that like you do have those parents that are on top of everything. You ask them for something or you like, hey, you know, we're sending out the homework packet this week, they on it. You know, you ask them to bring it back by a certain time, it's on time, if not early. Anything you need the parents to volunteer for, they're on it. Those parents do exist. However, they are a small percentage. Um, then you know, and I, I get it because a lot of times there's a lot of different things at play here. You know, not everybody has it like that financially, not everybody, you know, or, you know, they work a lot and they unfortunately just don't have the support to be, to give more, um, like we wish they would, but like realistically, like we have kids that come to school, you know, with no coats. You send homework packets every week. We never get them back. Um, you know, your child is is doing things and we're calling you and letting you know. And you're like, oh, you know, okay, what you, what you want me to do about that? Like, or, you know, you talk to the child, but they come back doing the same thing every week. And then it's like, <sighs> you know, like, so it, it's not, we would love more support from parents and it's not always there. So that can be difficult when you're trying to do your job, but you're not always getting the support that you need from the parental units. And then as far as admin, I think something that bothers me is that a lot of issues that teachers have is made known to administration and then they continue to do the things that continues to get people you know wanting to quit so it's it, it it's like talking to a wall a lot of times you know you can state your claims you can state your frustrations all day long but literally what i am personally witnessing and not just from where i work but from multiple school locations is you know teachers are expressing what is frustrating to them and then nothing changes but you want you expect people to stop quitting though, but you're not changing anything that is making them want to quit in the first place. Why do you think that, why do you think that is where you have like education administration looking at this target, looking at this goal and not necessarily yielding the way that they approach it in respect to what the teachers are needing why is it that those two worlds are so separated? Because unfortunately, and I'll say this is my opinion, so let me preface this with that. In my opinion, what teachers want and need is not the priority. Unfortunately, the data 
you know, student test scores, student grades, not even, I'm not even gonna say grades because some schools don't even use grades, which is crazy to me, but that's a whole nother thing. They don't necessarily use grades. They use test scores and data in the systems and that determines how well the students are doing or are not doing. And that is the priority. A lot of times what teachers want and needs, that's just, that's just not in the forefront. You're here to do a job, do that and leave. And that's it. And it's not verbally said that, you know, that's the case, but you can feel it. It, it you know, the actions speak for themselves. Um, I even saw that with, with tutoring, even before I started teaching with tutoring, um, you know, they would give, you know, I worked still do. I've primarily worked in urban neighborhoods and with a at this point 98 percent black prior black uh and african-american population and i even when i was tutoring i was being given these um testing tools to utilize on the students to determine what they know and what they still need to work on and i quickly learned that these tests were not meant for my students and when, when I say that, I mean, they would be like, oh, the student has to say this word full out. If they don't say this word full out, then the answer is wrong. And it could be a word where I know that the student knows exactly what they're talking about, but because they didn't use the specific word that was given, it's wrong. So like if the student says, oh, that's a light instead of that's a flashlight, that's a nightlight. They just say that's a light, it's wrong. And so now if that's happening with every other vocabulary word, now it looks like the student doesn't know anything or they're not progressing in school. When in fact, I know that they know exactly what they're talking about, but because they're not using this language that they're not being taught on a daily basis, you know, these aren't words that they're using at home. You know what I mean? So they're not using these words. They're not learning this vocabulary on a daily basis, but because it doesn't fit into this box, it's wrong. And it's kind of the same thing. You know, we're being taught to test them on these things. And if they get it wrong, it's wrong. And that's it. And it's just all about the data. It's not about the people. It's just about the numbers and the people don't matter. That's just the reality, unfortunately. And I've seen that firsthand, you know, um, I'll give you an example, like say I have to do these exercises with the kids every day and say, I only got to do the exercise with Johnny three out of the five days of the school week. And they're like, well, why isn't Johnny doing it every day or why isn't he meeting his goals and i'm like because johnny's a not only a person but a child so if children one thing anybody that has ever worked with children one thing you will learn fast if they don't want to do it it's not going to get done and that's it if i don't want to do it i don't want to do it and i'm going to throw a tantrum and i'm going to do everything else because i don't want to do it so if little johnny's not cooperating it's not going to get done but they don't care about that. They just want the data. They just want the numbers. So do whatever you got to do to make Johnny do what he's supposed to do. 
what is the value in in a system like this what is why do why does data and numbers have value why do they have the ultimate value what's connected to successful or money it tells the people all the way at the top if what you're doing is actually working so even if it's not working if it's not working you need to make it work because we need to get our money's worth so but i'm in a sense of data not reflecting a student actually being able to comprehend the concept of a light or a flashlight mm -hmm. that particular system of identifying the vocabulary word to dis determine the success of the comprehension doesn't work because someone can comprehend the function and the existence and the tool of a flashlight without being familiar of calling it a flashlight. For example, in some cultures, it's actually called a torch. Uh, but, but that particular set of data only works for a particular type of child, not all children exposed to that type of exam. So I guess I'm asking, what is the uniqueness of this particular type of data as it pertains to money? Are, are the people providing the money favoring this particular type of data for a reason? Or is it just a matter of this is what they grew up with? I feel like it's a thing of, well, it worked here. So why isn't it working here? It worked over there in Massachusetts. It worked over there in Michigan. It worked over there in Utah. So why is it not working in Southeast DC? You know, I'm trying, I'm not, I'm trying to be very objective in my heart of hearts. Okay. You see my face. Okay. <laughs> you see this, you know where I'm. So, <laughs> but even deeper than that, like imagine me because I am born and raised in Washington DC. So imagine me seeing this and obviously I feel terrible because I'm like this is the educational system that I grew up in and I'm now seeing what this looks like from an educator perspective and I now know what this makes the people upstairs think about our kids and I know that they know what they're saying I know that they're intelligent, but again, data does not reflect that because these tests are not meant for these kids. But again, it's worked before. It's worked in other places. So we know that the system works. So maybe you're just doing it wrong. It's maybe almost like it's a, it's almost like a concept of this data being a clinical education and teachers teaching an analytical education where from a if this was a clinical tool which data it sounds like how they're using it saying that if i could use this survey in this particular space i should be able to reproduce the results with this same exact thing so that's why clinical things are the way that they are because they need to be able to copy and reproduce themselves in multiple mm -hmm. spaces the benefit of that is that the people paying money to the people that ministering these or creating these tests, they know how to value what they're paying for because it's copy and paste everywhere. So, exactly. but when you're teaching an individual 
or having an individual conversation, getting to know someone's life, getting to know their speech patterns, if they have a lisp, getting to know their cultural background, you are thinking of their growth on a spectrum, which is that's where that analytical space comes in, that I'm understanding you as an individual and you traveling through life as an individual and education will be uniform for what we're doing in your particular age or demographic, but I'm acknowledging that you're having an individual experience with what I'm teaching. And so I'm going to measure your growth based off of my relationship with you and your relationship with me and your relationship with this material that I'm teaching. What is growth and learning looking like for you? May not look exactly the same to other people. A torch and a flashlight are the same thing. A light, a torch, a flashlight. They're all the same thing, but this Mm -hmm. clinical aspect has identified it as one thing, not these other things, right? Um, So it's just really interesting. And I think that a lot of times that clinical approach to education comes from people that have been removed from the educating, actual doing the education. It's Or if they've ever, you know, actually been in a classroom. I didn't want to go there, but... I mean, it's the truth. Like a lot of people that implement these curriculums have never worked with children and it shows, you know, even like, I'll give you an example, um, you know, and I hope this doesn't give it too much, but the classroom that the, the structure of the classroom that I'm in, I'm being told that this was set by administration, not the individual teachers. And to me, it doesn't really make sense because I feel like a, the kids do a lot of their like playtime in the morning and a lot of the academic piece is in the eve is in the afternoon. And I'm like, but that doesn't really make sense to me because the academic portion is the most important. So why is that kind of last? And then on top of that, it's now you know, closer to the end of the day, you know, they're tired, they're focused on going home. Um, it doesn't really make sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you just get, you know what I mean? Get them as soon as they walk through the door, they're up, they're excited, they're, you know, they're motivated. That's when all of the academic portions should be implemented and the playing should be later, but it's not really set up like that. But why? Because it's set up by people that don't teach. Do you think that the fact that Do you think that these systems take advantage of the fact that these kids are young? Do you think that there would be more eyes on the system if the kids were at the age of they're going to graduate and they're going, they're able to actually reflect on the growth pattern? So what I'm getting at is that when I was teaching in high school, shout out to all my, all my kids, all my, all my high school kids, all my middle school, Mm -hmm. all my elementaries, everybody. But when I was teaching in high school, it was my job to essentially remind the students what they have within them and to pull that out of them. But when I was teaching in elementary school, it was my job to just put it in them. I knew that you were not this year probably going to get the concept of sit down, get ready, but it's my job to constantly pour that structure into you so that it can be referenced later on. Whether that is later on in the year, whether that's later on in your school career, whatever that is, my repetition today is going to be your reference tomorrow. So 
it's my job every single day. I have to say, hey, you know, no peeing on the wall. Let's not, we're not going to give it pee on the wall today. Um, and you're going to do that every day. And a part of you may know that that is not acceptable, but you are finding comfort in pushing and testing those boundaries because you like the restraint that I put around the classroom. It makes you feel safe, whatever the case may be. But I understood that my job was not necessarily to pull and yield certain results today. It was to put that structure and that battery in their back so that when they do get to a space where they are now full-on analytical thinkers thinking about their life in a different concept, somebody can remind them, say, hey, you know how to get through this. You can do this. You got this mm-hmm. far. You can do it. You know, um, But when it comes time for if right now you're looking at these clinical systems and saying, okay, this survey, this light, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to, let's say, a regent's exam, right? And you're taking a very specific course for a very specific exam, and you're either going to pass or fail that exam. You know what I'm saying? It's like within that year, the result of the system is in your face before the year. But I feel like with younger kids, the result of the system really isn't in your face. They're just floating through these different tests and categories and they're just going. There are certain benchmark years, I think, right? Like there's like grade four for some reason is a big deal. And then grade six to seven is a big deal. So there are those certain benchmark years, but it seems like for the younger kids, they just kind of glide through the structure and they're just kind of like in whatever they're in you know but even then like i'll say it might depend so i'll say it might depend on the school system meaning charter versus public versus montessori i feel like that makes a difference um because like so currently i work for a charter school and there's a lot of assessments going on which i wouldn't have thought there would be this many assessments for four-year-olds but to my surprise there are a lot of assessments going on really for four-year-olds wow and even then like before like i was here i was um working in kindergarten and there's a lot of assessments there too and that was another charter school so i honestly feel like it might depend on the school system in terms of like how i guess relevant like testing and assessments and, and data is um at a young age but like in charter schools it's very important because again like charter schools get their funding from i guess i'll just say up above because i honestly don't know where it comes from but you know charter schools get their funding from up above and the data needs to reflect that the children are actually learning and progressing in order for whoever you know pays for the charter to feel like this is worth continuing to fund that's a really good point i i also don't i I don't know I don't know where Charter I'm like, Foundation I don't, I don't is. Know. It's a Charter Foundation typically, but the Charter Foundation is named after the Charter School Network. And I would agree with you. I don't know where Charter Schools get their money from. It is up above. I love that. It, it's, it gets, they get it from up above. So how does this burnout that you experience or the, the burnout that's created within these different layers of systems that clearly don't agree with each other, how does that impact the mental health of educators? And then how does that impact the mental health of the students? So I would say like right now, like the mental health is down the drain. Um, so many teachers are quitting. 
so many teachers or or even if they're not quitting they're like um you know taking off left and right taking off of work you know taking leave and stuff like that because they just need mental health days and you know obviously that's not helpful to the kids because you know kids need consistency at all costs and when teachers are quitting and now you have all of these new faces and um you know so like i'll give you an example like which a lot of people don't know this but like a lot a lot of schools i want to say at least 50 percent of the staff is subs at least 50 percent of the teaching population is substitute teachers now which a lot of people you know don't know that but so and tas there's a lot of tas that's teaching classes now because that are now being made to be Mm -hmm. leads even though that's not what you signed up for Mm -hmm. um which also i'd like to add that your salary does not change just because your job you know your job doesn't and you gotta fight for a stipend yep so you still making the same amount of money but doing more work um that is happening like everywhere and so you know it's hard for that not to make a difference when you know you're giving your all you're doing your best and you're continuously being told that that's not enough um you know by people that are not in your shoes that don't do what you do every day and it's again it's hard for that not to take a toll in the sense of you feeling burnt out you you come into work exhausted (laughs) <laughs> and you just walk through the door. You know what I mean? Like you tired and the day hasn't even begun yet. And that's a lot of us. Like literally you, I, I was just talking to one of the teachers today about how early, you know, we have to go to bed in order for us to feel fully rejuvenated the next day. Like it's really crazy because it's like you're at work all day long. And then you don't really get a lot of time to yourself because you have to go to bed early in order for you to feel rejuvenated the next day at work. So again, that goes back to when do you have time to take care of yourself? It continues to come back to that same question. When do you have time to take care of yourself and pour into yourself? That's something that I personally have been trying to be really intentional about taking care of myself because I've definitely been at the point where I feel like I'm just literally at the bottom sinking or just feeling like I'm just existing because I don't do anything other than work. And I'm trying to be very intentional about spending time with friends, spending time with family, make sure I leave the house on at least once, you know, on the weekend so that I can feel like I have a work-life balance and I am living my life. I'm just not existing. Um, so that is something that I am very intentional about. I feel like I'm doing, I'm not gonna say perfect, but I'm doing a pretty good job of that. I could definitely do better as far as like after work, taking more time for myself. But, you know, so like sometimes I literally have to put my phone on do not disturb because, you know, people will call me and want to talk and sometimes I just don't have it. Um, and that's also something that's been a new revelation for me. You know, I have no problem with coming home and talking to my friends for hours. But ever since, like, I've been, like, really, really working and being consistent. Like, I just don't have it. <laughs> I'm tired. And I've been having to prioritize my peace, you know. Now everybody will like that or understand that. But I have to put me first. And okay. I got to put me first, Lucius. I got to put me first, Lucius. I know that's no, right. How do, what is... Right. What does it mean to you to prioritize your peace? 
how do you interpret that? Um, so, you know, I might have friends that want to make plans, want to go out. And sometimes I have to say, no, you know, you know, everybody might not be understanding of that or be okay with that, but I have to say no, because I need my time to myself. I need my time to recharge my battery and to rejuvenate myself. And I need to do that alone. Um, you know, like I said, putting my phone on do not disturb and people talk about putting their phone on do not disturb all the time. And I didn't really understand the significance of it, the significance of it until now, like putting your phone on do not disturb literally just feels like your phone doesn't exist. And when your phone doesn't exist, I feel like it gives you the permission to just escape from the world, even just temporarily, you know, it's so much negativity. It's so much comparison social media like it's just so much toxicity out there and i feel like putting your phone on do not disturb just gives you permission to just get away from all of that i would agree 100 i this year um i got myself an emotional support dog i said you know what i'm gonna give me a little emotional support animal i sure did his name is kodak he about this big but he thinks he's grown um i gotta send you some pictures Tell me why he has this new thing. Like, if I'm not, the fact that I'm doing this right now instead of in his face, when I go out there, he's going to, he has a little pillow and he's going to push his pillow up against the gate when I like talk to him because he's done with me. He has oh, wow. like all the attitude. He's going through puberty. Yeah. Yeah. He's going through puberty. Oh, wow. So this is, this is his tantrum phase. We'll, we'll grow out of it, hopefully. But um, so what I've started doing, like, when I come home, um, I take him out and I often forget to grab my phone because he has to go. Okay. When Kodak says mm-hmm. it's time to pee, it is time, time to, to pee mm-hmm. immediate, immediately. So, mm-hmm. um, I take him out and I don't have my phone. And the first couple of times that I realized I didn't have my phone, it felt very uncomfortable. I felt very anxious and detached. I didn't know why I didn't feel like I was going to miss anything. I just felt like I didn't have access to the world. Ironically. Um, but now it's like it's so worried it's it's so freeing to know that can't nobody contact you for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. it really really takes a level of stress out of the picture like you are actually by yourself by choice like you have your it's, it's a new it's the meaning of personal space like you never really experience personal space when you're constantly holding on a window to the world in your hand. Like you, do you really have personal space if someone can just call you at any moment and- And disturb your peace. Yeah, regardless of what you're doing, do you really have personal space? So now I kind of like it. Like I'll come home, I'll leave my phone on the counter and just, we'll just be going for a walk. And it feels really, it just feels different. It feels, I, I actually can enjoy outside more i can notice things more i can actually feel like i'm here in the moment so i Mm -hmm. definitely respect the 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 do not disturb movement and i also constantly promote for people to take like a social media break if they need to Mm -hmm. i feel like i've uh, unintentionally taken a social media break not entirely in the sense that i haven't like signed out of anything but i really do not be on social media as much as i used to like i think the last time i posted was my birthday and i honestly don't remember i think 
the last time I posted before that was like graduation stuff, like my graduation party and stuff like that. Like I really don't post on social media like that. I post like on my stories, little funny stuff on my stories. But other than that, like I really don't be on social media. Like, I mean, I used to be on Instagram for hours, like, or like be on my Twitter, like just scrolling for hours. Now you're lucky if it's like 15 minutes, if that. Like, I really do not be on social media like that anymore. Um, That's good. Do, do you feel like starting that, having your phone on Do Not Disturb kind of helped build that habit? Or was it just a natural transition? Like, what was it that kind of gave you that push to kind of give yourself that space? I feel like it was a natural transition. I don't feel like it was. Well, honestly, I feel like it was really just me getting busy. Um I've, you know, me getting busy with being, with work and, you know, working with kids, like they constantly, constantly demand your attention. Like you can't even send an email. Oh, she on her phone. Let me go ask her for something. Let me go ask her to tie my shoe, open my fruit punch. Like you there, you're really never allowed to do anything without them. So it really doesn't allow for me to be on my phone like that, which I think allow for the natural progression to start of me not really being on social media like that but also like like i said it's just so much negativity in the world like especially i love dc but it's just so much crime it's so much crime going on like literally every day you log into instagram it's a new somebody got their car stolen somebody got shot somebody got stabbed and i think i'm just over it like i just i don't think i don't think emotionally i can take the negativity and, and i don't think i can and, and i can uh, absorb that much negativity on a regular basis mm-hmm. anymore yeah this is that's the actual that's the actual psychology of burnout it, it is literally that it's that state of emotional where you are sometimes even physically but you're just literally exhausted through and through and it's not even just a matter of dealing with something for a long time it's also the repetitive stress like there's an emotional injury of like the repetitive stress it's not so much it is so much of it going on for a long time but it's that it keeps happening over and over and over and over and it's predictably it's a predictable uphill battle and so those things absolutely do take a toll on you. And I and I can tell that you are in that space of burnout. And it's important for people to take that step because the thing after burnout is tap out. Like once you have mm-hmm. passed your burnout mm-hmm. and you run out of fucks to give, that's when and, the tap and, out but, is. And that's why I wanted to talk about this because I feel like that's where a lot of educators are like i feel like it's going beyond burnout it's tap out um you know like a lot of teachers like they're showing up every day and yes i'm physically here but i'm not really here and i'm not I really tapped out able yeah to give my all because at this point i'm i'm stretching beyond what can be stretched you know mm-hmm. like yeah. I, I had this much left and you still want me to give this much you know what i mean it's not it's not it's not adding up you know and so i feel like like I said, and this is something that i see on a regular basis because even before i was at this school location i've been at other 
school locations and people are just tired and it's not even like new educators i'm talking about people that have been teaching for like 20 years 30 years they're tired yeah in a lot of in a lot of ways the profession of teaching if if i if we're if just thinking about this from a mental health perspective the profession of teaching isn't great for your mental health it's it doesn't really you know it teaching in a lot of ways in most situations can actually be quite damaging to your mental health it can hurt your self-esteem it can hurt your sense of self-worth that burnout is very real that value system um it can hurt your morality because i think a lot of people come into the teaching profession with high moral standards and after that first year where you're being asked to do certain things with the grades and you have to do this and you can't do that it's like immediately that moral standard is out the window, you know? So it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hopelessness that gets thrown on the shoulders of a teacher. Um, and the the irony is that that teacher's primary job is to inspire hope. That's what they're there. That's what they're there. And it's kind of like, I'm not a machine, you know, like I can't be amused. Like I need exactly. something to be my inspiration in order for me to be their inspiration. Um, but when walking into this building is the most depressive environment that I've ever been in in my life, I can't pull that light out of thin air. You know, I don't have a magic yeah. wand, you know. So I think mm-hmm. I, what I would like to see, and I think this is really important for educators as well as education administrators, is to to really assess how much of an emotional safe space your school is um because if the emotional safety of the facilitator is compromised then the emotional safety by extension of the receiver is compromised so if the teachers are feeling like they're in a hopeless environment it's going to be very difficult for the students not also to feel like they're in a hopeless environment not because the teacher is preaching hopelessness it's just that's the energy that's being passed through. Um, I personally don't think that, I I do think that there's a way to have these standards, but also have a therapeutic space for teachers to exist. Um, I just feel like teachers need to feel like people care. Like I, and it sounds so basic, but it's the truth. Um, uh, I, so it is teachers appreciation week. And I know a lot of, I, I had, and it's really bothered me that I know some amazing educators that break their back every single day to give their students the most of what they had to offer in the midst of this burnout. And they were given a $5 Amazon card from their employer, $5. Teachers Appreciation Week now to show your educators how much you appreciate them for everything that they do for you and your students every single day. And they were given, they were shown their appreciation with a $5 Amazon gift card. But That's you want really disheartening. To up, but you want people to show up to work and give their all every day. And this is what you have to offer. 
when I hear about situations like that, it, it kind of brings to light for me that what the understanding of the all that's required is is not consistent. What administrators think teachers are giving is not what they're actually giving. When a, when an administrator think, hey, you're going to give your all right now, sometimes they don't understand what all actually is. And, and a lot of this is because I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> you see me trying. A lot of this is because the art itself of teaching is a space of passion. And this is a space like, for example, nurses or doctors. This is a great example. For nurses mm-hmm. and doctors, you want them to come to work and want to like call to duty. They have to give their last of it. You want that. That's what you you want a nurse that's ready to throw it all on the line for you. You don't want a nurse mm-hmm. that's like, oh, you don't want that, right? And mm-hmm. so when teaching, you are in kind of like almost like a a, hos- a mental hospital with with children. Not that you're all, always responsible for rehabilitating, but you are in that space. You are in that mental space. And so you are very hands-on. You're very mm-hmm. hands-on with this. And so you want a teacher that is ready to give that all. But you have to have, the teacher has to have a, a safe space where they feel like all of that is actually acknowledged and valued. They can't feel like only 5% of what I'm giving you actually see and care about, but it requires a whole nother 90% to get the results that you're asking for. Exactly. I can't give exactly. what, what you think I'm doing. I can't do that and get you the results you want. Mm-hmm. Because again, like there's so much that you're being asked to do on a daily basis and you're never really given the appropriate. And I feel like that's the really biggest takeaway is that you're being asked to do so much, but the amount of time that you actually have to do what you're being given is just, it's not, it's not adding up. Time, resources. Yeah. You're not given, you're not given the life to live. So there's a there's a certain life that needs to a teacher has to live a certain life to be a teacher. They have a, a teacher can't live a life of showing up to work and being depressed and feeling undervalued. A teacher can't be a teacher under that circumstance. They can't. A teacher can't teach without clear directions, without expectations that are married with what their actual job is. They 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 because can't I also do that. Think- I also think that people don't so for one i've heard a lot of negative commentary about teachers more so on social media and it's really disheartening because like the amount of work that you put in on a daily basis and for people to just literally just crap on what you do for a living it's it's, it's really disappointing um but what people don't realize is like being a teacher is hard in the sense that everybody knows that everybody is burnt out but nobody is actually allowed to show that they're burnt out. Like you mentioned earlier about the level of enthusiasm that is expected of a teacher. Like you're literally from the moment you walk through the door, hey, how you doing? Good morning. How's your day going? Yeah, literally it's an acting the moment, gig. You're an act, you have to be on. Door, 
You're on stage, yeah. All day long. You're exhausted. You probably got no sleep last night, especially if you're a new parent. You know, you got no sleep last night. You're exhausted. And then you walk in through the door and you're expected to smile and be hunky-dory all day long. You're never actually allowed to express how you really feel. You just nod and smile and you keep it moving and you go, you go with the flow. But do you know how unattainable that is to do every single day? Every day. No matter what you got going on at home, in your personal life, in real life, once you walk through those doors, you're supposed to have a smile plastered on your face and be in a positive mood and greet every single person you encounter. Yeah. Most people don't have to do that on a daily basis. I mean, yeah, you do like in an office setting or whatever, but it's not the same because in an office office out of you could just like hey joe how you doing good morning da, 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 da. keep it moving no as a teacher you're good morning how's it going how you doing you had a good night last night i'm glad to hear it all day long yeah it's different it's different levels of energy in in no. those two interactions mm-hmm. and and what and that what you're doing is not just like extra bells and whistles that's a part of your teaching process you have to conjure and pull that enthusiasm and energy and that curiosity out of them to teach them whatever you're going to teach them. You can't teach. You can't teach them. Sometimes they come fresh in the door that you have to, they have to come inside of a mindset. You can't just teach them cold. You can't, you can't cold teach. You got to warm them up. So that's a part of what has to be done. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, I literally cost, had a little girl this morning she walked through the door she put her she took her stuff off she sat down at the table and started to go to sleep it's literally breakfast time the kids are supposed to be eating and she's falling asleep at the table so there is no room to not be energetic and not be enthusiastic because if you if you you know if you did they all gonna look like that in a minute you know what i mean like they tired they probably were sleeping in the car you have to bring the energy you have to or they are going to be asleep or just not paying attention. And, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a job. It's tough. It I is. want to, if you, if you could give, because there, there are actually going to be quite a few educators listening to this. Um, if you can give some advice to the higher ups, the powers that be, in terms of creating a more habitable space for teachers to thrive, what are some concrete things they can implement today to show that appreciation to the people that show up to this job every day? Well, the first thing I would say is to listen to what they have to say. And I know that sounds simple, but you would be surprised the gaslighting that happens in these conversations oh. where it's like, I hear you. I hear you. And I hear what you're asking me. Oh, one of those. But this is what I need you to do, though. Yikes. Um, it, 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 I mean, it, like I said, it, it happens all the time. You will literally give a laundry list of problems that you're having or, or things that you need. And it's, I hear you. I do. I hear you. But actually, this is what I need from you, though. And this is what I need you to do. And I need you to do it now. So that obviously is not productive because now 
I feel like I can't trust you. I feel like I can't talk to you, but now I'm expected to come to work and be in your face every day and expected to give my all and do my best in an environment where I feel like no one is listening to me. So my first piece of advice would be to listen to what your staff has to say and then actually implement it, not variations of what you think they need, but actually listening to what they're telling you that they need. Uh, A translation of this is don't bully your teachers into success, mentor them guide them, support them into success. Teachers typically know what they need to be successful. I mean, the nature of teaching is setting that goal and mapping out a way to get to that goal. So I feel like if anyone was equipped to organize and set the stage of how to achieve a goal, it probably would be a teacher because that's literally what they do. So instead of bullying them into these uh, success rates into these um, goals and standards support them in their journey to them. Mm -hmm. But also show your genuine appreciation. And I don't even mean like pizza pizza parties and and gift cards and stuff like that, because those things are great, but but they're they're momentary. Um, and they mean nothing if you kind of go back to the gaslighting and and not really listen to what they need um, because it's kind of like it's kind of like putting nail polish on trash. You know, it looks pretty, but it's still trash. You know what I mean? I mean, just being realistic, you know, so putting nail polish on trash is still trash. Like it looks better, but it's still trash. You know, so let's work on showing. And I'm and let me back up because I'm not even just going to say educators. I'm going to say people in public service. Period. People that work in the public. Okay. Sector. Can we understand that educators are public service professionals? Yes. Like every single public servant, show them that their hard work matters and that you appreciate them showing up and showing out every single day. Because some people like me literally have to drag themselves out of bed. I love sleep, sleep and eating are my favorite things about life. And I have to drag myself out of bed every morning because I just want to stay in my bed and sleep all day. And that takes a lot of energy and it's just not appreciated enough. So let's just show our people you know, that you appreciate what they do. You appreciate at their core who they are um, because you never know how many people need to hear it. Even if it's, a, if it's a simple, just a text or email, hey, I thought about you this morning and I just wanted to let you know, I appreciate you. Thank you for all that you do. It sounds simple, but I guarantee you if somebody's having a crappy day, that one message could make their entire day because it's happened to me. Um, so I, I know how big of a difference that that makes where my friends will literally send me messages like that. And I will literally get teary eyed because I'm just like, you don't even know, like, shout out to all the friends, shout out to the friends. Well, I want to, um, strong support systems. Okay. Um, well, look, I want to, this information is going to be valuable. It's just a matter of whether people take it or not, but. I appreciate you uh, being willing to hold space for teachers this week because y'all don't get enough credit. And I want to um, I want to end our session with a quote, and I would like for you to 
let me know what parts of this quote, if any, resonates with you and what can people learn from this moving forward in terms of teaching, in terms of appreciation, in terms of holding space and therapeutic spaces. Uh, so the, and this is probably as a teacher, uh, something that you would be quite familiar with. Um, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred from one to another. Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. So I'll say as an educator, again, tapping into this topic, I'll say as an educator, when you say that it cannot um, be created or destroyed, only transfer, you know, that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. If I, if I walk into the school with a defeated attitude, I walk through the doors. I'm just, I'm over it. I want to be here. I'm done with the day before the day even starts. I'm now transferring that energy onto my students. And now I'm expecting them to do what they're asking, what I'm asking of them. And I'm expecting them to be on task. And I'm expecting them to be perfect little angels. But I have now transferred my negative energy onto them. And now what is that going to do? They're going to be all over the place. Some of them might be sleepy. Some of them might be, you know, extra energized, but not necessarily in a good way. More so like that look, may look like tantrums, you know, be behavioral issues, you know, and I'm confused as to why they're acting like this. But I walk through the door with that same energy. And now when they're displaying it in a different way, I'm upset about it. So wait, 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 wait. You just, you just said, you hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's run that back turbo. For those of you who did not catch Ms. Lancaster, what she said is that when she walks in the door with that energy, her students will display that energy that they got from her in a different way. So we need to be mindful that sometimes these behaviors that we're seeing in these classrooms are manifestations of the energy that the teacher has put into the student. And now and I'm confused period. why they acting like that. Even and why, why they act like that with you and they don't act like that with Mr. Brown. Mm hmm get into it see mm -hmm. get into one thing y'all gonna get into is this with miss lancaster and she big told y'all so y'all big mad about it okay and with that happy teachers appreciation week y'all we appreciate yes, thank you, we you, love you so much for all of the teachers that are out there and that are going through burnout or even if you're not thank you so much for the work that you do we know that it's difficult work and it requires a lot and no one will ever fully see what a teacher is and what a teacher does, except for a teacher. I will tell you that when I came out of, I, I never wanted to, I just knew I didn't want to teach because I had some horrible teachers growing up. And I also kind of just fell into this space. It was a special education, mental health first space, but I kind of fell into this and I never knew what a teacher did. I never knew what a teacher was supposed to do. I didn't know that teachers were 
your your battery for your self-esteem. I didn't know that teachers helped hold up that mirror of how you see yourself, how you show others who you are, um, how you solve and approach the world, how you analyze things. I didn't know teachers were those people that you go to with your problems sometimes, even if it's not your teacher. I, I didn't know that there was a very therapeutic forward aspect of being a teacher, whether you're, I didn't know. I thought teachers came in with the curriculum and they wrote it and they taught it on the board, but you will teach the same exact curriculum every year. If it was that Mm -hmm. simple, anyone can do it. It's not that simple. That's the smallest aspect of your job that book. Well, I mean, the first year or two, you got to get to know that book. But once you get to know the book, you know the book. You know what I yeah. mean? Once you've taught yeah. your subject for a year, you know how to teach that subject. Um, that becomes the smallest part of your job. Being a mentor, being a big brother, a big sister, a mother figure sometimes, a father figure, an auntie figure, um, or even just providing a sp- Even if you're not connected with the kid, just providing a space for them to be safe. Sometimes, you know how many kids come to school to escape? You know, and... I didn't realize that this was all of what a teacher does until I had to do it. Um, And I have a profound respect for people that walk into this education. I'm blessed because I was in an environment with amazing teachers, people that really went to bat, you know, and I'm blessed to have that, but I know what it's like to have really teachers that just are burned out. They don't care people that they're they know they're about to quit after the end of this year they just don't want to disrespect you and quit in the middle of the year right you know right. i i know what it's like you know um i've been i've grown up being bullied by teachers in in the past i've had really really bad experiences so I, i've seen what it can be and i respect the fact that people bring this light to this to this job and it's it's hard because it really feels like you have to have that light in your pocket. You know what I mean? There's a there's a reason why happy hour is such a big deal, you know, with, my with eighth teachers. Grade teacher, my eighth grade teacher literally did not like me like at all. And the, like you said, this is a person that is supposed to, you know, inspire you and motivate you. And this woman hated me so much. She wrote me a negative recommendation letter for high school. And thank God that I have the mother that I have, that my mother like opened and read every recommendation letter before she sent it. Um, Because it was was sealed. It was a sealed letter. My mother opened it and read it. And it was a negative recommendation letter. And I'm like, you know, and I'm not going to sit up here and be like, I was the perfect student because I wasn't. Let's be real about it. But I was also a child. And it's like, we have to acknowledge you're an adult. You're an adult. You're grown. You know, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Teachers, I'm not are gonna parents. Be- Teachers are parents. Yeah. I, I mean, th- these are not your birth children, but you are a parent figure. For these. eight hours a day. Absolutely. Consistently. For eight hours a day, every single day. So for you to go out of your way to try to jeopardize a child's future you should have never been in this profession to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so That's we have a lot of people been. that there's a lot of people that slip through the cracks. And I don't know if they came out the gate feeling like that or if they turned into that hateful of a person. I don't know. Um, 
but I do know that this is this is not what people think it is. This is probably the most the closest to heroic of a job that you can get. Um, you get basically nothing in return, basically nothing in return. And this work that you're doing is life changing work. So I want to absolutely take a moment to let all of the teachers know that we certainly appreciate you. And if nobody else sees you and nobody else tells you that even on your worst day, you're doing better than a lot of these kids, moms and dads, and that maybe they didn't pass a test, but they are approaching a material and that's a win. I'm, I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that. Um, I'm telling you that every, every day that a kid comes to school is a win. Every day that a kid comes in your classroom is a win. Every day that a kid addresses you by your name. And some of y'all, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's a win. Anytime a, a kid looks at you, makes eye contact with you, that's a win because kids are not machines and we're not machines. We're dealing with stories. Kids are little walking stories and they come into our stories. And so we as adults and as teachers and as facilitators of this safe space in this community, we have to adjust our story to match up with their story so that they could have that happy ending. But it's totally self-sacrificing. It's a total self-sacrificing profession. And I think that if we respected teachers more, we could learn so much more about life through the eyes of a teacher. You know, the concept of people being willing to lead young minds in a, in a, in a community setting there's so much there's so much to be gained there and i'm really sorry that y'all have to deal with this um corporate aspect of education because it doesn't play well in the service industry um mm -hmm. and it doesn't i, I know that it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon i'm just i'm really sorry it's not fair and there i there really isn't much recommend like recognition that could really happen because I know for for teachers we're like we measure ourselves based off of results and outcomes. So if you're dealing with a situation where you're not feeling valued, there's but so much that person can do other than change the result and outcome. You know, so right. it it's it, it's really not much, but. I'm letting y'all know that y'all are fucking dope and we could do, I guarantee schools can run without administrators, but they cannot run without teachers and teaching assistants and one-to-one -one aides. Please say that again. Can't do it. Oh, Can't do God. it. Can't do it. Oh yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Man. Um, yeah, that was, that was powerful because I think that honestly that gets forgotten a lot of the time. And it, it shows that that gets forgotten a lot of the time. Like, you know, it, it's so, it's literally every day where teachers are like, you know, I don't know if I could take this, you know, y'all gonna have a meeting for the meeting and y'all gonna mess around and y'all ain't nobody gonna be in these meetings. Um, you know, meaning people walking out and it's like, you know, people have literally just walked out in the middle of a shift. They just say, I, I can't do this no more. Got up, left and never came back. It's happening all across the country. And I'm just like, when do we see this happening and decide that something needs to change? Something drastically, like nationwide, needs to change so that we can 
maintain because you realize like these children at some point they're going to grow up and be adults and these are going to be the people that run this country but if they didn't have a teacher they're not learning anything what do we think that looks like in terms of them running this country in the oh, future oh oh because that's real i think about this often i think about this a lot like if these kids are not being taught and these children will eventually grow up and be adults that will run this country. What does that look like in the future? There's like 13 memes that just popped up in my head just now. <laughs> like, listen, the conversation of molding the minds of the future is not, we're not even at that space. We, <laughs> we haven't even we're not even holding space for the creators of the molds who are molding these minds. So we, we, we can't even, we can't go there, but I have always said that I'm, I'm a lifetime learner. I love learning. I love education. I don't like the education system. I never liked school. And as I've gotten older, I realized that teachers don't belong in schools. They belong in families. They belong in communities. They belong in organizations. Teachers don't belong in academic institutions they belong i've never thought about it like that i thought that that makes total sense i've just never thought about it like that i've always loved school though like always problem is i never like math i mean that's a whole nother topic oh not as given part two <laughs> i love writing i love reading but mathematics did you rash but were you good at it what ain't like math. With, with math no, never. No, I didn't from, like math, but I was one. okay at it. Um, mm -hmm. I was always into my my subjects. I loved all of the like creative, like creative writing for some reason. That was my shit. I love. I mean, I went on. To, I I still love writing. I my favorite part about college is I love writing a good paper. Oh, you're not gonna tell me nothing. I'm gonna write that paper. Okay, <laughs> but I've always loved the creative elements. And anytime that I was learning a, a class that was taught from a creative aspect, it really just drew me in. And math never was. <laughs> math never was, never, was math never was. And I think that there is there's something to be said about the types. Mm. Okay, let me. I feel like I know what you're about to say, and I agree. There's a very math is known to be a very specific niche education for a very specific reason and there are certain personalities that go into mm -hmm. education specifically mm -hmm. wanting math specifically for a reason that has nothing to do with teaching and i'm gonna let mm -hmm. that be that yeah. okay <laughs> i i second that i definitely feel like my feelings towards math might be different had i had math teacher that I felt catered well and I do feel like I had it I do but I can literally count on one hand out of my entire academic career like I said I have a master's but out of my entire academic career I can count that's not good I can count on one hand how many mathematic teachers that I felt like actually gave a crap whether I succeeded or not I mean that's really good for you because I mean when you think of well math is a subject that you take less of as you get older so if you can i can't count on not a hand i can't count and i went to business school so i did quite 
I did quite the math. I did the economics. I did the macro, microeconomics. I did the accounting. I did the forensic accounting. I did I did all types of math. Math is mathing. Um, not once. I didn't do all those. Not once, <laughs> not once. Before I, I went to school for psych, you. before I went to school for psychology, I went to school for business because mm, that's what my mother wanted me to do. Way. I wasn't, I didn't like it. I was miserable every step of the way. But um, I, I, I have never in my life had a math teacher that made me feel good about learning math. Made me feel like it was okay to make mistakes. Um, I've never, ever, 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 ever had a math teacher. Um, and that can just be coincidence. You know, I grew up in the I hood. said on one hand that that was me being nice. It's literally two. It's fingers? It's literally two. Okay, two so fingers. that's what, so now we, look, go like this with those two fingers because now we, now we one see in each middle other because five is a lot. That's a no, lot. I meant, no, I was saying like generally count on one hand, but no, it's literally only two teachers that in my entire academic career, two math teachers that I felt like genuinely, genuinely cared um, and enjoyed and, they were both, and, and just you know enjoyed not to go not to go there but they both were women so okay they were they were both women um in eighth grade i was not so they were had long story short it was an a class b class and a c class and the a class obviously everybody knew was like the top academic students and then the c class was you know you know and then the, the b class was like somewhere in between and this was like the eighth grade no yes eighth grade and i was in the a class but mathematically i wasn't able to keep up with my class and my teacher made the decision to drop me down to the b class and i was devastated because all my friends were in the a class i didn't know any of these people in the b class and I was devastated, but she was like, the reality is I had to drop you down. It's not to say that I don't think you're smart, but you were at risk of not graduating if I did mm. not move you. That's, and that's, It's nice that you had somebody that was having that conversation. I did not. Every one of my math teachers, I felt like they enjoyed making kids feel dumb every single one of them they enjoyed having that oh you're wrong that's a dumb answer why would you say that how could you not get this they love those moments i don't know why like i told you i'm, I'm from the hood and i went to school in the hood ass hood ass situations yeah. but when i started teaching um after dance my first curricular course was a math course and i taught geometry and I told myself, I said, you know what? I'm not just going to teach geometry. I'm going to teach the shit out of geometry. These kids are going to love some fucking geometry. So I taught um, angles on the basketball court. I taught, I had, I taught nets and 3D objects. I taught them how to measure the um, like surface areas by actually going into the building and I let them just measure the building and, you know, gave them wrapping paper and let them guess how much wrapping paper they need to cover the principal's desk. And, you know, uh, that was how I taught. And they took that Regents and they passed that region. And they love, when I tell you, they were so excited. They could, I couldn't get them to stop. I couldn't get them. I was like, okay, it's time to stop. It's over. No, I have to finish. I have to finish. They wanted to cover everything. And it, when kids are excited about learning, you don't have to worry about the pushback of them being challenged because they're going to want to challenge themselves. 
they was like, okay, Mr. Holland, what if I cover this and I put this on top of it? What that what happens then? I was like, I don't know. You're gonna have to figure it out. Let's find out. You know? And so I didn't, we didn't do any, we didn't do any paperwork, we didn't do any tests. All of our checkpoints and pop quizzes was interactive. Every single everything, it was basically like a algebraic geometric gym class free period that's what we did we they got I'm glad clipboards that you were given, and they was in it i'm glad that you were given the room to have that though because i was a lot of yeah i was and the where i taught i will say that where i taught especially at the time that i was teaching that's why i said i worked with some amazing teachers period we dealt with the top two to three percent of most difficult kids in the state and we had to get them to meet the same standards as everyone else and it was very welcoming to out of the box education was what we did we didn't need we did no homework barely did any tests it was all out of the box education and we were we used to meet like twice a week if there was one kid that was struggling the entire school would be me any any adult in that school that interacts with that student, we would have a meeting on them. And it's not a meeting on how bad they are. It's like, why do you guys think that this kid is behaving this way? Like, what can we do to support them? Can we surprise them with certain things? Can we boost their confidence? So I don't, and I'm blessed as fuck because I know that that is not the case elsewhere. I, I Eventually I went on to be a contractor where I did consulting for classes and schools on developing mm -hmm. leadership elements in there. So I know, I know that I was in a very good position and I had a supportive, I mean, not a perfect now, I ain't say perfect. And I didn't say they were supportive on everything that they should have been supportive on for everybody. But I can say that they were not, they weren't in the trash, absolutely the fuck not. And everyone that was in that building cared about these kids period so I, I that i can say so i am throwing all of that love and all of that care to anyone in the profession and i just want y'all to know how amazing that y'all are and how much power you hold in your in just holding that space in the classroom nobody can do what you do so thank y'all for doing it and thank you for being here i'm so glad that we finally got an episode we've been working yes, on it for so long you. we finally Absolutely. got it i was been, been supposed to be on this show y'all but listen but, but you know timing is but the timing is going to time the way that it needs to time the timing is going to time the way that it needs to time so i'm glad that we did it and i feel like this was the greatest this was a really good episode this was a great topic it was the question i don't is, feel like i would have covered this topic if we would have met months ago like we definitely no, would not we wouldn't have, have. we wouldn't have particular topic and it's it's so important at this time that we had yes. this time, that we had this conversation okay well we will see you back um here you guys you're always welcome here and i always tell people to come back and bring a friend because we always like to bring a friend to our group sessions but we definitely oh. want to welcome you to the family and you are more than welcome to come back at any time um, if would you like to do you do you want people to follow you on any socials or how are you feeling? Is it giving that? Um, if it's not, if it's can. giving space, oh, she said you can, but I won't be. <laughs> 
no, okay, it up. So she said, my, you could follow me, but I ain't going to be there. Oh, I'm trying. <laughs> so my Instagram is private. That's why I say that. My, it's, it's set okay, to private. Well, that, but... That's all they, they don't need your business. If they don't need your business, they don't need your business. At the end of the day, this is Miss Lancaster, and she gave y'all what y'all needed to be gave, okay? <laughs> And she gonna drop that mic and walk away like that. So thank yes. you guys. Remember, I want you guys to listen Tiana. to Miss Who? Miss Tiana. Okay, Miss Tiana. All right, Princess and the Frog. You heard it. You heard it, be that is good. You heard so, it. Before we go, funny enough, that's literally what I tell when I work with the older kids. That's literally the reference that I gave because my name has an O in it. My name has an O in it, and it throws people off. So I always been like, yeah, my name is Miss Tiana, like Princess and the Frog. And so the third graders started calling me Miss Princess Tiana. Okay. Oh, get into it. You think you you, you thought I was feeling you? <laughs> Ew. You think you cute? <laughs> they would literally call me. They were like, Miss oh, Miss Princess, Princess Tiana. Oh, my God. I would love. Imagine being greeted like that every day. Come on. And it was so funny because I had at that time I had literally only worked with them like that one day, but they all loved me. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly I did something right because they love me. They be coming out of nowhere, hugging me from behind. Like it it was just so much love. That's what like working with kids, they really do show you so much love. Like you will get they a do. million hugs a day. Just oh, like yeah. you are a professional hugger as a teacher. Um, in yes. my case, my job was a lot more aggressive we had kids that was very um it was a physical job we did physical restraints uh we had kids that were on you know we we did a lot but i have this one scar from this one particular kid this was the most difficult i've never ever came across a child that young with that much of a psychological profile and so he would, he was so small, but he was so calculated and so like overall manipulative. So he would create these crises so that I could restrain him. And I did not understand why I learned later that it was because he just wanted a hug, but he didn't understand how to go about asking for a hug and he wasn't comfortable with oh, affection. Wow. So he would do that and i have this scar like right here on my wrist and it's been there for so 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 long but it just reminds me that like we have a job to wow. do regardless of what hat we wear and sometimes mm -hmm. people just need a fucking hug sometimes kids just need a fucking literally hug. literally i had a child literally walk in front of me today and i was like can i help you and she was like i just want to hug <laughs> she gets you with one of these <laughs> No, that's like, that would have made sense. No, that would have made more oh, sense. Oh, do you have she the kids that just, just kind of like shrink themselves and throw themselves in you? Like you're uh, like. I have that too. I have yeah. those too. <laughs> but she, yeah, she literally just stood there and I was like, you want something? She was like, yeah. I just want a hug. Just say that. Why are you just standing Because you supposed to know. Don't play with her. <laughs> But thank you so much for Princess having me. Princess Tiana, we to got to go, but you will have to come back. Yes. And you need to bring a friend and we're going to have some more conversation. I feel like this summer is going to really be a vibe. I'm here I'm for it. I'm feeling like this summer is going to be a vibe. I am working on upgrading some equipment. So by the time you come back, it's going to be a whole. Okay. Okay. Listen, me, you, and Jared, 
listen, that's a I can't be serious with Jared. I don't know. Jared is like my little brother and he uh, I just can't like I'm I'm a clown. <laughs> something clown about Jared. We just are clowns on air. But I do have a show I, I think I don't know. I have so many things scheduled, but yeah, we will definitely we will definitely need to come together and um Maybe we'll do like a uh what do you do? Like like a summer break? What is that? Is it's not called spring break? What do you call the break between summers like summers over? School's over and summer school start. Summer break, summer school, something like that. Okay, yeah. We'll have like a nice little summer school episode. Maybe we'll have a series of episodes. We'll do like a little three parter. A little three part summer school. All I do is talk, so I'm here for it. But thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for listening. I've been your mental health coach. And this is the, ooh, what's the name of this podcast again? The Group Sessions. This is the Group Sessions podcast. And I'm clearly tired. So I'm going to go to sleep, y'all. Yes. <laughs> Peace. Bye.